living light. Well, the whole reason that we're going through the book of James is to ensure that when we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word, we find, our, find what it is that we shouldn't need to be carrying in respect to burdens or challenges or attitudes or problems. And so as we go through James, we need to go through it with the mindset that we're letting things go as God has called us to. So uh, let me just lead us in prayer as we open up the scripture this morning. Father, we thank you that uh, for James, this faith that he had come to adopt, adopt through his half-brother Jesus, was something that had totally transformed his own life already. And so for us, Lord, as we look at this first-generation Christian and this letter that he's written, can we, Lord, by your Spirit, buy into the immediacy and the energy of this letter? Let it challenge us, as no doubt it's challenged millions of other people through generations. But now, Lord, we ask that it will become alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I'm calling the talk um, Planted. Planted. It's a, because we're going to be looking at this sort of organic nature of the gospel this morning and how it is that uh, this word of God that comes into us can actually transform us from the inside out. And in doing so, we're going to pick up on some of the themes that we looked at last week, which we called Tried and Tested. Tried and tested, of course, is all about perseverance. And perseverance is about our ability to handle things under trial, handle things when we're under pressure. And we all know that life is pretty good when there's no pressure, but yet pressure and trial and challenge causes us to have breakthroughs in certain areas. If you can imagine that your life is like a, a concrete tank and the, the limit of your experience is found on those walls, most of us just live within that concrete tank, our experience. But without trial and perseverance, we don't have the ability to push up against those boundaries, those walls of what our previous experience has given us and break through. So without a challenge in our life, without a trial in our life, we don't have the opportunity to break through and create something fresh and new in our life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Otherwise we just live in a often ever-decreasing circles through fear and intimidation. And so what we're looking at this morning is how it is that through trial and temptation, uh, we have the ability to be able to see God in different ways, and we also get to look at this mirror of our own life. And that often is very, very revealing, isn't it? The mirror that allows us to see whom we are and how it is that we're tracking in our relationship with God. Just to sort of link, if you like, to last week, uh, I've got a quote here from one of our own folks Dr. John Douglas, who's frequently with us, here he is, Dr. John. Um, when we had a staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the series and drawing from it during our own time, and John uh, sent me a quote of something that he put on a blog some years ago, and it says here, temptation and temptations are tests to raise or fall. They are not opportunities to stay just the same. When I am tempted, I am in company with all humans, from the firstborn, Jesus, to greatestborn, John the Baptist, to leastborn, Paul, to latestborn, those born even as I write. And so as John there is reflecting on Thomas Kempis and his, uh, his reflections on, on temptations. But for all of us, temptations and trials are normal. The, the, the biggest challenge that we face though, when we go through a trial or a temptation is that we get isolated and we think that we're the only ones who are going through this experience. And yet when we share these experiences, experiences, these difficult times 
with other people, we find that their stories are common to ours. And so when we go into community, which we're called to as Christians, to go deep into community, which we're wanting to do with our small groups that we're running during the series, uh, we will find that there's a lot of common challenges that we all face. And as we share those, we find that we're not alone and we're not caught in this trap of darkness where we think that we're the only one who feels this way, has this problem, or is being challenged by this, this uh, difficulty at the time. So this morning as we look at James, we find that James is going to address things in our lives that are common to everyone, remembering that this letter is 2,000 years old. And so we find that we're not getting around anymore on donkeys, we drive cars, but people haven't changed even though our environments have. Okay? The heart essentially is fundamentally the same as it was thousands of years ago. But I just want to pick up on the final verse of last week's message because this is going to flow through into this week's talk and it's really important that we pick it up. James says, He, that's Jesus, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This idea of first fruits, it comes out of the Old Testament for us where a sacrifice of the first part of the crop was taken out of your field and taken to the temple and presented as a gift to God. Now that food is distributed to the orphans and the widows and those who needed the food. But the interesting thing about a first fruits option here is that um, this is the first part of your crop. And it's a big step of faith because you're not sure how long that crop is going to last. You're not even sure if the crop is going to be devastated by a storm or a flood. And so when you take the first fruits of it and you give it away, you present it to God as an offering, that's a big step of faith. Particularly if your family has been looking forward to this harvest for a while and the food in the pantry had started to whittle down to bare minimums. To say, let's take the first fruits and present it to God, that's a big step of faith, isn't it? And yet what, uh, what James is saying to us here is that we are like that first fruits. We are like a first offering. Now let's plant ourselves back in the day, back in the day when Jesus now is probably 30 years to 40 years off the scene, if you like, since his crucifixion and resurrection. James is writing to this, this community of scattered Christians, and he says, look, the Spirit of God working in your life makes you a first fruit. You're like a, a prototype of a new creation that God has brought about through the death of his son and his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. You're a first fruit because this whole thing called religion is now being done in, the, in a reverse way to what it was in the Old Testament times. See, in the Old Testament times, we're given a whole lot of laws on how it is that we should behave. And in these laws, we are subject, if you like, from the pressure from the outside in. The laws are there and we're told this is how we should conform. But in the New Testament, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and the Word of God comes from within us. And I'll explain that a little bit more later. But there's an, an inside-out transformation that is happening in our lives. Okay, An inside-out transformation. And this is what James is referring to as this new creation, this first fruits, and this prototype of a whole new uh, dynamic of what it means to be human. Okay, a first fruits. So James now says to these first fruits, and I want you to follow what I'm going to say through here, read this through, and pick up the last line. 
You'll see what I mean. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of any moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, the reason why I've suggested we needed to look at this last line is that it talks about the word planted in you. Again, we're looking at an organic illustration here. We were told we we're first fruits. Now we're talking about the word planted in us. So God is growing something within us. And what he's wanting to grow in us is the person of Christ. Okay, this is the word that's revealed to us, the person of Jesus. And so what we're doing here is we're, we're, we are quickly being absorbed into this idea that this is an organic process of this growing of Christ within us. Now, when you read the book of James, and I've done this plenty of times, I quickly read this book and I'll go, wow, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. Okay, and it goes on, get rid of all that moral filth and junk. And we get preoccupied with this in as much as this is a call, this is a demand, this is a law, and it's telling us we've got to sort our act out. Now, that's fine. That's, that's a goal that God wants. But we don't achieve that by focusing on all the muck in our lives. What we do achieve is we achieve this righteousness that God calls us to by focusing on Christ. Okay? And there's a, there's a big difference in this because what it calls us to do is to build Christ in us that would leave no room for the rubbish in our lives. You know, if we, we are occupied with the presence of Jesus, if we're impressed with the person of Christ, that being birthed in us is going to expel the other rubbish in your life. And that's why we talk about a person being born again. There's a transformation process that happens when somebody has an encounter with Christ, okay, where their whole world is completely turned around, their value system is just wiped out of the, pushed out, wiped out, and a whole new person is being created on the inside. You know, you're a, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And this is the transformation that James is interested in. He's not interested in us navel-gazing about all of our, our bad uh, behavior. He wants us to be impressed with Jesus. And there is a completely different dynamic that occurs in your life when that happens. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, otherwise we can get super depressed. One of the things um, that James is trying to get across to us, and this is, again, um, by way of illustration. We've all heard about the, the stairway to heaven. You know, it's a great little song by Led Zeppelin. You know, I'm buying a stairway to heaven. Well, we can easily get into that mindset where the idea is we take what James has said to us about uh, the cleansing of our heart, and so we think, oh, yes, I'm doing that pretty well. Uh, getting rid of uh, immoral behavior, I'm getting there, getting there, getting there, and then all of a sudden, I have an argument with my spouse and I'm back down here again. You know, and then you climb up, you climb up, you go, I'm doing pretty good. Oh no, I had some bad thoughts. Whoop, back down here again, you see. And this can be what religion is for a lot of people. Just a sense of failure all the time. Now I know that because I've experienced that. And I know that because you've experienced that. What we have to do is adopt the same mindset that James has when he's talking to us about what it means to have faith in Christ. See, because our righteousness 
has been already credited to us, given to us, gifted to us. God sees us in Christ as already here. We've already made it. What we have to do now is just offset or, or get rid of all this other rubbish so that we can live up to what we have already attained. That's what Scripture tells us. And one of the other things we've got to keep reminding ourselves is that religion tells us that we've got to keep climbing, got to keep working hard to make it, and somehow you'll earn your way to heaven. Whereas the Christian gospel is the completely opposite to all of that. Because why? Because Christ has come down out of heaven to meet us, to take us to be with him. Okay? That's what separates Christian faith from any other works-based faith that would say, you must, you must, you must. God is saying to us, you have already been given this. Now I want you to live up to that. Um, maybe, maybe this would help. Our behavior is modified by becoming who we already are in Christ. Let me give you an example. I don't think it's a perfect example, but um, just think of uh, the All Blacks, all right? The best sports team in the world, the best win-loss record of any professional sports team, okay? And what happens when somebody is invited onto the team? Now, this is literally what happens. This is literally what happens. Um, they are given the jersey by the coaches and the management team, and they say, here's your jersey. You're going to start for us on Saturday. This jersey has been worn by, and they rattle off all the players or a lot of them, who have worn that jersey beforehand. So this jersey comes to you loaded full of legends who have already worn it before you. They have been brave, they have been courageous, they have been strong. They have endured, they've persevered. And now you're wearing that jersey, you're going to add to its legend. Why? Because we believe you're good enough to wear it. Wow. Do you really believe I'm good enough to wear it? That's why you're here. Because you're good enough to wear it. And you're going to add to its legend. Those big tackles you'll make, the courage you'll play with, you're going to add to that legend. And that's the culture that is generated there amongst the All Blacks. Because they believe they are part of an ongoing culture, an ongoing tradition, where they are called to live up to what has already been attained by others who have gone before them. And so in the same way, we have been told, here, come and clothe yourself with Christ. Christ has already lived the perfect life. It's been credited to you. But as you take on Christ and you are filled with him, you will find that as you allow the Spirit to work in your life, all this rubbish that you've been contending with will disappear. Okay? I've made it sound simple, but essentially that's what uh, the Bible describes to us. We have been given a gift of salvation. It's called the gospel. Gospel means good news. Okay? It would be bad news if we had to keep climbing that stair every week. Okay? In keeping with how we felt about our behavior was. That's why it's called good news. Therefore, James says to us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, why do people forget what they look like? Because they choose not to remember. Is that profound? Not really. 
But it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You see, when we look in that mirror, we see what we see, and we're not always that impressed with it. Sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. But we're talking about the physical, and James is talking about the spiritual. The Word of God, the Scriptures to us are like that mirror. But more importantly, it's the person of Jesus, and we'll come to that in a few moments. And I'll explain what I mean by this mirror being the Word of God. But um, one of the things um, that I'm intrigued by these days is, uh, is selfies, you know? Click, take a photo. Uh, I read a while back that it takes the average person 20 minutes to take the right photo before they post it. Yeah? 20 minutes. Just getting the sunlight right or whatever, getting that smile right, getting the shadows right, getting the angles right. Eh? It's amazing. Isn't it amazing? People would do that. You know, I'm only one day older than Brad Pitt, literally. That's why it's hard to tell us apart. And, you know, with the right angle. I am only one day older than Brad Pitt. But anyway, that doesn't make any difference, does it, clearly? <clears throat> um, I was in the City of Love a while ago, literally, Paris. I was there with my mate Peter. All these people dining on the sidewalks. It was an absolute picture. It looked like something out of a movie. Just a beautiful night, and romance was in the air. So we went to McDonald's. Um, <laughs> but the next day, we were um, down by the Eiffel Tower. We only had 24 hours to do a whip tour, whip round tour of, uh, of Paris. And we were down by the Eiffel Tower. We got down there early. And Pete wandered off to look for some trinkets or something to talk to some of these people selling things. And I was just standing back. The Eiffel Tower was there, the big lawn right out in front of it. And, of course, people were running, walking around taking selfies, uh, as you do. You know, you get a certain distance away from the Eiffel Tower, and you can put yourself in the photo with the Eiffel Tower there. Well, this guy turned up, and you could tell he'd put a lot of work into his appearance that day. He's probably about 40 years old, and uh, he had sort of gel in his hair, and he looked pretty trendy and pretty cool. And I, walk, I saw him walk over, and he put his camera down on the ground up against a post. And then he was putting the timer on, he'd run back and he'd do these posy photos, you know, and uh, come back and click it again. This is quite entertaining for me. Uh, you know, New Zealand would never do anything like that. You know, that's just the last thing you do. But in, in Paris, who cares? Um, but anyway, he was, he was lying down on the ground, taking this photo. He had his hand under his chin, you know. Yeah, he, was, he was pretty impressed with himself. And... Uh, then the water sprinklers came on. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is hilarious. This is like a movie, you know? And uh, anyway, he got wet and he jumped up and he's like clambering around, runs off to get his phone. And then he stops and he's like, looks at himself and he's like, oh. Puts the phone back and he goes back and he starts taking up these photos of himself as he's getting saturated. So this is going to be his story now for Facebook, I'm sure. Okay. And I don't know what that means, what I'm talking about, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, about selfies, taking selfies and wanting to get the best picture of yourself. It's, it's, a, it's a real temptation, isn't it, to take that selfie, get the best possible look that you can find, and then you say, that's me, that's me. And you convince yourself that you at your best is you always. Yeah, you at your best is you always. What James is saying is, look, when you look in that mirror, have a soberness about it. 
Now, I'm not talking about the physical mirror. You know, we're all, we all degenerate, okay? Enjoy your youth while you've got it. I've been to the rest homes, wrinkles win, okay? Um, but James is saying, look at, look at the inside and allow yourself to be measured by God's word. And because uh, the thing is that, as Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. And we're always wrestling with what James has suggested we do. We look in the mirror of the word and we go, oh, uh, uh, no, I'm not that bad. Okay? And we've got this defense attorney, this lawyer on speed dial, haven't we? You know, if somebody says, hey, look, you, you do this. You go, no, I don't. Okay? The, the defense attorney is right there speaking on your behalf. No, I don't. Or if you're not quite sure about confessing your failures, uh, you have a, a case of the yibbits. Yibbit. 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 Okay? So we're trying to find a defense for ourselves. And that's what our human nature is all about. And this is what is common to all of us. So don't think that you're persevering alone. Everybody has a case of the yearbuts. Everybody is looking for an excuse for their behaviors. So James tells us, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, this perfect law, it's very easy for us just to take a simple summary of what that looks like and say that that perfect law is the book of the Old Testament. You know, your Bible's split into two bits, Old Covenant, New Covenant. And so it's easy to say, yeah, we have to look, perfect, look at this perfect law here. Um, but this perfect law is now changed, and as much as Jesus fulfilled the law, so the perfect law is Jesus himself. So the reference here is not to going through... Um, the Old Testament, looking for all the laws about what we should eat and shouldn't eat and wear and shouldn't wear and behave, we now look to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And so by looking to him, we actually find the mirror by which we should be comparing ourselves to. And that in itself is, is a challenge. But just to remind you of what, this, what, what I mean by this perfect law, we've got to be reminding ourselves that John's gospel begins with these words, in the beginning was the word. Now, this big W word, is a reference here to Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So here's Jesus being referred to as a word. You know, what he's saying here, very simple terms, is that uh, Jesus is God's final saying, final word to us. Okay? the ultimate word. And so when we look at the perfect law of God, the perfect law is Jesus because he fulfilled the law perfectly. Okay, so we look at that law and we are called to be comparing ourselves to Jesus, but we're transformed from the inside out because he does the work of transformation in us as we ask him to do so. Uh, another text that might be helpful, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us, carried our sin. 
and instead of us being punished for our sin, he died on the cross in our place. And his righteousness was given to us. That's why we can see ourselves always at the top of those stairs because we've been gifted this salvation. Remember, it's good news. And we're called to live up to what it is that God sees us at, at already. Now, James touches on some things that we're going to look at in a, in a bigger way through the rest of the chapters. But um, the first part of this, this introduction, if you like, in James chapter 1, introduces us to one of James' favorite topics, and, and that's the tongue. Okay? Um, so he only mentions it here briefly, but chapter 3, half of that is dedicated to the power of the tongue. Okay, but here he says something that just gets us thinking in the right way. He said, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Their religion is worthless. Now, I just want to use an illustration here. Um, you'll see my artistic skills coming up right now. <clears throat> but um, for the purposes of today, I just want to explain some of the things that I do with my national role as a Baptist national leader. I'll, I'll frequently, thankfully not too often, but frequently get phone calls from people in churches who are saying we're going through some struggles. Uh, it might be a pastor or it might be an elder in the church, somebody else who's employed. And, and what I get is I get, this, um, I get a report for, this, for the lack of a better word. I get a report. Okay? Somebody's on the phone and they're explaining to me all of the challenges that the church is having. So I start writing on my, my jotter pad all the things that are going on in the life of this church that are causing people grief. Now, this is not uncommon for us, where somebody will come to you and say, hey, look, I need to tell you this, or you need to know this. Uh, I just thought it would help you if you knew. And so you start getting a report. Somebody has got loose, a loose tongue, and they're telling you some gossip for argument's sake. Okay, because James is saying, look, you can have all the religion in the world, but the thing that's going to blow it the most is your tongue. You know how that little song that says, your leg bone's connected to your knee bone, your knee bone's connected to the other ones. Um, <laughs> tibia and fibia, it's not very rhyming, is it? Well, the heart is connected to the wagging tongue. Yeah, it's true. The heart's connected to a wagging tongue. What I've learned over the years is this, is that when I get a report from somebody, usually unsolicited, somebody's looking for some help, what I've realized is that when I listen to what they're saying, I'm just listening to half of the story. And that's the first thing that goes through my mind even if what is being said here is incredibly compelling, incredibly convincing about what it is that has been going on in the life of this church or in, or in a situation that is creating difficulty. Um, and so many times I've had to back off in my own mind about what my conclusions are when I start hearing the other side of the story. I go, oh, okay, now I understand why that behavior was like this. This was generated through this conversation. These people misunderstood it, and now we're, we've got trouble. We're not going to hit this Taming the Tongue chapter until we get to chapter 3. But just by way of um, introducing the topic, 
I'd like you to think in these terms. Whenever you hear of something that's not right with somebody, if somebody's telling you a story and you're thinking, oh, why am I hearing this? Why are they telling me this? Just remind yourself that you're only ever hearing half of the story. It's really, really helpful. Because otherwise, what will happen is you can interpret this thing as the entire truth and then it gets a life of its own and um, it's, it's out of here, man. You know, the old story, bad news is halfway around the world before good news is putting its shoes on. I heard on Wednesday um, through a businessman in Auckland that the Bethlehem Baptist Church has been sold and we're now going to push on into the future without a building. It's not true. But I'm sure you want to come on the 27th now to find out what is happening. <laughs> but the rumour was true. The rumour was true. The rumour was wrong, but the rumour was true. And as much as that's what I got told, oh, I heard you sold your buildings. <laughs> really? Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we're in trouble on Sunday, aren't we? Yeah. Okay, um, there's this, this quote that I found during the week. I've, I've never met this guy before, Xenocrates. But he was asked, why are you silent? He said, because I have sometimes had occasion to regret that I've spoken, never that I was silent. Yeah, yeah, true. One mouth, two ears, twice the action, all right? And finally, James brings up something else that we're going to touch on later in the, in the series but again, it comes out as a bit of a, a, an indicator of what it is that he wants to talk to us about. And he says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, it seems that James just throws a whole lot of little things at us at this point. He's talked about the tongue. Now he's talking about religion. What is positive religion? And in its simplest form, when as a Christian you're not sure what the call of God is on your life. What is it that I should do with this faith that I have? James is saying, help somebody. And look out for the, the least and the lost, the marginalized, those who are hurting, those who are struggling, those who are vulnerable, those who are intimidated or threatened, who, who are lacking resources. Particularly in the day that uh, this letter was written, uh, the social structures of the day were such that if a person was a widow, if a woman was a widow, she was very, very vulnerable. And therefore, um, her children were also. But of course, we can see what it is to have, uh, have orphans and how it is that they need to be looked after. So, so James is starting to just sort of point, if you like, in the direction of what the future of this letter is going to bring to us. We're going to talk a little bit more soon about the power of the tongue, and we're going to talk about what faith really looks like when it comes down to the brass tacks of how it impacts your life and there should be evidence in your life of what it means to be a Christian happening around you, okay? So we're going to finish there. But um, what I just want to put out there amongst us today is that uh, those of you who know James have been through it will be aware that there's some verses at the end of this book in chapter 5 that talk to us about when you're unwell. If you're unwell, if you're sick, you should call upon the elders of the church to lay hands on you and pray for you. And during the week, I realized that we should work towards this so that by the time we get to chapter 5, we're more familiar with this happening. So I'm saying to anybody who's unwell and is looking for an opportunity for prayer, we just want to make sure that every Sunday, as we go through this James series, you know that you can come up and have someone pray for you 
and, and bless you and anoint you with oil, and there'll be those here who will do that for you. Okay, so let's just build that into the life of our, our church over these coming weeks. But as far as the orphans are concerned, well, come and enjoy the Mangaza Choir tonight because uh, these young people's lives have been transformed by somebody who's literally taken seriously um, what James says true religion is. And these lives have been radically changed and transformed. Let's stand for prayer. God, we have the ability to make faith really complicated. It just seems to be the way our human heart works. Because sometimes the simplicity of looking in a mirror and saying, man, I've got to change that, uh, can be really, really threatening. And so we all confess, Lord, the fact that the lawyer is on speed dial, coming to our defense to make excuses for our unchanging hearts, our hard hearts. But Lord, as you work within us, as you build the life of Christ into us, we have the ability to be transformed from the inside out. And Lord, these transformations that occur will have a direct result upon the way that we live our lives, that we can be this prototype, this new creation that you've called us to be. And, and therefore, our, our tongue is under control and our love for those who have real trouble in the world around us will grow and we can be your hands and feet and your answer to those challenges. And so, Lord, we, we look to you and in this week as we meet together in our small groups, uh, we just pray, Father, that we have increasing vulnerability to trust those who we share these, these times with uh, because we know that we've all been in this together. We're not singled out and separated. My sin is no worse than anybody else's. It's all challenging for us. But we look to you, Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we, we just invite you afresh to come in. Come in and bring your change, bring your love, bring your power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.